0: sure good to see everybody today i mean you know looking out here at you today it's it's just kind of a shock that you know we just a week ago i was getting up and preaching and working in a service in Bulawayo, uh, Zimbabwe. Boy, what a difference seven days makes. But man, what an incredible trip we had there. It was uh, one of the most, and and, and, I mean, every trip feels good. It just seemed like a very productive trip, accomplishing so many different things in, in different areas. There was like 14 of us that went, but we kind of broke up into three different groups and three different types of projects. Having said all that, I'm guessing if you follow me on, on Facebook or anybody that was on the team, you think all we did was go to Africa and walk with lions. And, and, and I promise you we did do that, but that was just one of the nine days uh, that we did that. And gosh, what, you know, it's an amazing what you can do if there's no liability, I mean, you can get away with anything if there's nobody's responsible for anything. I think we signed one piece of paper. It says, if I'm eaten, I understand my family's in charge of paying for my luggage to be sent home. I think that's the only thing we signed to go and, and, and do this. And oh my gosh, it was phenomenal. But we, we walked with lions for, you, you know, you'd look at a picture and think, well, what, were you in a cage and you did that like for 15 minutes? No, we were out in the open and we did it for like two to three hours uh, just walking. And and uh, it's walking with the lions. I think they walked with us. They they would come and go as they please. It wasn't like they just stayed there like a, a dog walking down the trail. They would go up into trees and out into the bush. And then, and then come flying back. I mean, literally, they run by you and hit you on the leg, and ooh, you know. But, but I had a stick. <laughs> Did you know that if you have a stick, a lion can't do anything to you? All you got to do is I've, I've got a stick, and you're you're safe. At least that's what they told me. Just hold the stick, but uh, it was incredible. I'm really excited about, and and I I I trust, I hope some of you in here today will end up uh, as as a part of our church family in in Bulawayo on on a mission trip. Uh, We've got a great partnership there with the church, with an orphanage, uh, with a girls' home. The need is great, the opportunity is great, uh, and and boy, the church there is just incredible. We had a great time worshiping with them last week, Bulawayo. Baptist Church. And, uh, you know, Bulawayo is a city. I mean, it's a a good-sized city, and and it's, it's not like, I mean, you think of Africa, you maybe think of being out in the bush, but There was parts of the time we were, but a lot of this was in the city. And, you know, I I was out front before the service started and, you know, seeing people go by and it's kind of a city neighborhood type setting. And you wonder, you know, what do people know about this place? What do do they think about Bulawayo Baptist Church? And, you know, I was doing that. and I was reminded, you, you know, I think the same thing about our church. I mean, I wonder, you know, when people drive down Jeff Davis out there and they're sitting at the light and they look over at the sign or they look at the building, what what do they wonder? What do they think about this building, about this church family? And, uh, you know, I know what I'd like them to wonder. I'd I'd like them to wonder, like, how many people we baptized last year? How are kids and young people raised and trained in the Lord or boy what does that church do to come alongside people and and challenges and opportunities in life that's what I'd like them to wonder but I think from what I've heard over the years and just because I'm a person too and I've I've wondered it you know as I drove by churches because I I wasn't born a pastor right I wasn't a pastor in middle school, I wasn't a pastor when I got out of out of college. I I drive by churches and, and think thoughts. And so I'm guessing when a lot of people drive by here, they look over the building and think, How many people go to that place? I wonder how much money they're pulling in. Or the really super all important question, I wonder how much they're paying that pastor. Hmm? very important questions. Now, let's answer some of these. You know, we don't go through numbers a lot here at the Heights, but at the end of our last recording year, and the reason I say recording year in Southern Baptist Life, we turn stuff in uh, on a year of October to September. So at the end of last September, uh, we had 5,126 members. Uh, We averaged 2348 in worship and 4.85 million. Not my salary, but what you gave to the work here of the Lord that we call the heights. Now, when you think about salaries, and we do think about those things. You know, if you were to Google or to do a study on what percentage of a church budget is made up of personnel or administration... Uh, actually, if you google that you 'd be surprised there 's a lot on there, and you get numbers all over the map you can You can see something as low as thirty five percent You can see churches as high as sixty percent of their budget is is personnel. but I think most of them, if you read through them you 'd find about forty eight to fifty two seems to be about average of what you can anticipate uh, a church 's budget is is going toward personnel, which in our church is about 50 to 60 people. Uh, you know, when you think of staff, you think of like, well, there's the pastor and Dale. And you start calling up, there's like five of us up here. No, there, there's like 50 to 60 uh, on our payroll here at the Heights. Now, about half of those are, are probably more like part-time. Some of our nursery workers, facility maintenance and some things like that. The other half would be ministerial staff assistants and that that kind that that make up that that, uh, well, 48 to 52 is the average. Our church... Uh, Historically, I think about every year since I've been here anyway, we run right in the 46 to 47% range. So we're a little bit under uh, what what an average budget is giving. Not much, but a little bit under that. And uh, myself, along with our personnel committee, we kind of measure what we do with salaries, um, looking at what other churches do. Lifeway, one of our entities in Southern Baptist Life, has a tool where you can plug in uh, the budget, you can plug in church membership, average attendance, and then they'll, they'll compare you, give you a percentile uh, with all the churches your size. Uh, and, and we do that, be honest with you, I haven't looked at it in probably a year or two, I think. I, I probably am due for checking that out a little bit. But uh, we have never had anybody on our staff uh, above the 50th percentile. Now, that sounds kind of like, well, gosh, do we pay bad here? No, I, I, I think we pay pretty well. I think we do well. We do the best we can. But when compared, we're in the lower 50 percentile. Now, that doesn't tell you what I make. You're waiting for the number, aren't you? That doesn't tell you what I make or somebody else on our staff makes. But what I hope those numbers communicate is we're not doing anything extravagant. We're not, we're not doing anything over and above, over the top in in what we do with with our administration. So there, there's some numbers. They're not the numbers that make up a church. I, I don't think they're irrelevant numbers. I, I think for most people, those are kind of important numbers when you're thinking, what am I a part of? Or, or do I want to be a part of this? But I, I'll tell you, again, if I, could, if I could go inside people's brain as they drive down Jeff Davis and through the light, this is what I'd want them to wonder. Is this a place that I can join God in what he's building? Is this a place that I can join God in what he's doing? Is this a place where I can, and I think this is a big word, confidence, that I can with confidence put first things first. Now what's that mean to, to put first things first? Well, let's see what that means from Haggai's perspective. How many of you said the word Haggai this past week? I'm I'm guessing nobody. I'm probably the only one. Haggai is a minor prophet in the Old Testament. Now let's see if we can find him. Because I'm going to tell you right now, Haggai is not the easiest book in the Bible to find. As a matter of fact, here's the way to find it. If you know where the New Testament is, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, go to Matthew and then go back left into the old testament you'll go through malachi zechariah and then there's there's haggai hiding right there after Zer- uh, zechariah if you get to zephaniah or habakkuk you've gone too far and it's easy to go too far because haggai's only two pages long I mean, you can just zip right by and never know you walk through his house, okay? So that's where, that's where Haggai is. And he is what we refer to as a minor prophet. He's not minor in his importance. He's not minor in his message. He's minor in his size, Like a major prophet would be Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. If you look at those books in the Bible, I mean, they're huge. They're some of the longest books in the Bible. They're 50, 60-some chapters long. Haggai, two chapters. So so that's how, if you've ever heard those words, major, minor prophets, that's how that's being referred to. And uh, Haggai is a minor prophet. Have you all found it yet? Because I've just been totally rambling giving you time to find it. That's all that information was for, giving you time to get there. So, Haggai chapter 1, let's begin. I'm going to begin reading in verse 2. Haggai 1-2 says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways, go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, man, look at this phrase. I I find this uncomfortable. There are not a lot of things in scripture that make me uncomfortable with God. This one comes pretty close. What does it say? And when you brought it home, it's talking about your resources, your wealth. I blew it away what? That doesn't seem very nice. I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts? Because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. Look at chapter 2, verse 6. For thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more in a little while, Haggai today brings to you and I, brings to the Israelites a message from the Lord. And did you pick up that it's from the Lord? Did you pick up the repetition there? In those few short verses I read 11 times, we heard a phrase that sounded like says the Lord, the word of the Lord, declares the Lord. I'm guessing Haggai here's a little squeamish. You know, he knows, hey, this message is messages, a little bit of a punch in the mouth. We all get a little awkward and sensitive when it comes to money. And so Haggai's just like, "Hey, Liz, don't put this on me. This is all him. You got you got a, you got a problem go here. Go here. Not here. Leave me alone. Now leave me I'm just declares the word of the Lord." And so 11 times you think, "Hey, Haggai's trying to get something across here." Now, now, what is it that, that Haggai is communicating to us? You know, if I could paraphrase God's word here, I think it would sound like, something like this. You know, you know, guys, you are always busy. It's always the right time for you to build your lives, to build your homes, to be about the business of you. While it never seems like it's quite time to do that. You know, now's not a good time. I don't have enough right now. This is a difficult moment. So it's never quite the right time to make me a priority. Whose money do you think you're building life with? It's mine. And when you don't acknowledge that, you're bringing a math into your life that will never add up. My folks, if there was a verse, I would say, that is the United States of America. That'd be it right there. We make more money than almost any nation in the history of the world has made. We possess more resources and we have more marriages broken over finances. We are more stressed out about finances. We are more in debt. We cannot more make ends meet. And we have more money than everybody on the planet. Do you realize if you make $25,000 a year, you are in the top 1% of this world and we're stressed. Why, why can't, what? Are we acknowledging who it belongs to? This is, this, is an un, this is an uncomfortable message. This is a tough one here. But if you stop and think about it, what, what is it God is suggesting us? There's two ways to approach this there's the, the negative side, you're not doing, but then the positive side is, but what if? Hey, listen, if you're one of those, man, I'm, I'm just killing myself here. I'm working hard. I'm trying. And it just seems like, ah, just always a bit short. It just doesn't quite add up. And I don't think that's just a financial statement. I think that can be anything in life. Man, it just doesn't quite come together. Could it be that you're not acknowledging that there's a king? You're you're not acknowledging that there is a king. And folks, when we don't acknowledge the king, it's not going to work. Period. End of story. It's just not going to work. Now, the, the king in this situation, what, what Haggai is dealing with here is he, the, the prophet Haggai goes to the people of Israel. And remember, we've, we've talked about them coming back from exile a number of times over the last year. They, they've come back from exile. They're back in the land of Judah, back in the city of Jerusalem. They're coming back after 70 years. The temple was destroyed when they were defeated. And they've come back and they're rebuilding their lives and they're getting their businesses up and running because you have to do that, right? You got to pay bills you got to you feed your family. And so they're doing pretty natural stuff while God's house lays in rubbles. And he says, you know what? You're not putting me first. This isn't, this isn't going to work, and it's why it's not working. But that's about building a temple. We're not building a temple in Jerusalem, are we? We're not in a, in a building project here at, at the Heights. But isn't God always building? And is there not an opportunity for you and I to always prioritize, to occur? We'll always make first in our lives the building that God is doing. You say, "Well, what building is God is doing?" Well, look up here, First Corinthians chapter three. Do you not know that you're God's temple? You're the temple He's building now. God is building individual lives in and with and through His Son Jesus Christ. This is now His building program. This is the temple that shows His glory, and you and I can join God in building individual lives, in bringing people to Jesus Christ. And as God raises up these temples, you know, we talk a lot here about how life is better connected, right? See, it's not individual temples on on every street corner, a little individual temple in every single home. But ultimately, God wants to see all these temples gathered. And Peter explains it this way. You yourselves are like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house. God brings all of us together, and we are the spiritual house. We are the holy priesthood for planet Earth. We're, we're the representatives between God and people, between people and God. We are God's building program. And folks, while there are all kinds of ways that you and I can join God, we can join God in prayer, we can join God in witnessing, we can join, join God in serving. There's a lot of ways we can join God in what He's doing. But do you know what? Throughout the Scripture, Genesis to Revelation, God always seems to measure what we're doing financially. How we're prioritizing, how we're coming alongside him and joining him in what he's building and doing in this world with our resources. Look, look what he says throughout the scripture here. In Proverbs chapter 3, we have the command, Honor the Lord. Can we go to the, to the next one? Honor the Lord with your wealth. Honor the Lord with your wealth. What's that mean? Acknowledge there's a God. Acknowledge that the wealth all belongs to him. You know, you and I today in our worship songs, we sang about a king, didn't we, in a lot of those songs? King Jesus? We have a king in Jesus. And you know what? Everybody here, we all know what the word king means. Maybe, maybe some, some kings in history come to our mind and we can point to a king. I don't think there's any lack of knowledge of understanding what a king is. You know what there's a total lack of in this room? The experience of living in a kingdom. The experience of living under a king. We have leaders. As a matter of fact, we call ours. I mean, isn't I don't know how long this has been true. I would assume for 50 plus years. Don't we refer to the president as the most powerful person in the world? He's, he's a ruler. He's a great ruler. And, and man, we might be in awe. We might, you know, I'd like to meet the king or the, or the president. Or I might like to meet the governor. I mean, we, we have people in these high standings. But they're not kings. You think about the way we look at a president. And I'm not talking about agreeing or disagreeing with policies. I'm just saying the way we look at a president. They're no different than me. They're, they're no better than me. They're just a person. They got voted on. They got in. I didn't. But they're not better than me. They don't have more rights than me. They don't, they don't own the United States, do they? No. So they don't own the United States. They don't own me. They don't own my... Pro- That's not true in a kingdom. The kingdom is owned by the king. And you are owned by the king. As a matter of fact, a a word used and a biblical word used is you're a steward. You and I are stewards to the crown. We are stewards to the king. Our lives are for him. We, we serve Him. Everything we have belongs to Him. And, and folks, whether we use the title king or not, the scripture certainly affirms everything in the earth belongs to the Lord. Psalm 24 verse 1. Everything belongs to Him. Your breath belongs to Him. Your money, not 10%, 100% of your money belongs to Him. Your ability to work belongs to Him. Your health or lack of it belongs to Him. This day... He commanded the sun to rise. This day belongs to Him. And I honor Him. I acknowledge that He owns all that when I bring the 10%. When I bring the ten percent to him, I'm acknowledging you're the owner of this and you own all of it. And not only does it say to bring it, but it even describes how first fruits. That's not a name that or a word that jumps out at us because most of us are not farmers. We're not agrarian in nature. But the the idea of first fruits in the Bible is okay, so I'm a farmer, I got all these crops, and I have dumped all my money into seed and into machines and and into labor and help and, and getting it planted and getting this crop up to the place where I can harvest it and usually by the time the the farmer reaches the place it's time for harvest he's out of dough he's out of money it's time to get the harvest in and and replenish and and have what i need to live on well you would go out to harvest that crop the first 10 percent went to the lord the tithe that's what first fruits means the first now you say well Okay, God, I'm fine with giving you 10%, but, but what, if, what if I go out and harvest that 10, I'm bringing it to you, and while I'm bringing it to you, a storm, a hailstorm wrecks the other rest of my harvest. I mean, could I wait until I get everything in, kind of get bills paid, see where I am, and, and, and then, no, it's, there's a step of faith here. It's all his whether a hailstorm comes or not. You acknowledge him, you honor him with the first fruits, with the tithe. And you know, when we don't do that, you know what that makes us? Will a man rob God? Yet you're robbing me. What do you mean we're robbing you, Lord? How how have we robbed you? In the tithes and contributions. You know, it's an interesting thought right there. I, I think it's easy to have a mentality that when we come in here and we pass the plate, or I, I know a lot more of us today. I just started in the last year. I'm doing it all pretty much online. But when we come do that, don't we have the mindset that I'm giving God a gift? I, I'm, I'm, I'm enriching God, I'm, I'm giving God something so his ministry can happen, right? I'm, I'm giving this, and, and if, we're, if we're not careful, it's real easy to almost get, start bargaining with God. Hey God, I did my part, so now you do yours. I mean, I put this money in the plate. you're going to give me a good meeting this week, aren't you? I mean, we can really have this mindset that when I'm giving something, I've now put God in obligation to me. He now owes me. He's he's now to give something to me. And nothing could be further from the truth. Do you know that God does not owe you a thank you letter? You know, if you come to my house and you say, Hey, Randy, can I borrow your hammer? Sure, here it is. Here's my hammer. And you go and you use it and you bring it back three days, five days, ten days later. Am I going to send you a thank you note? Hey, man, I just want to thank you for the hammer. That's so awesome of you. I love this hammer. Think of the things I'm going to be able to do now. No, I don't do that. It's my hammer. You're just returning what was already mine. You're acknowledging that you were holding my property. I don't, have to, I don't have to thank you for that. And if you don't return it, you are you're stealing. And so it's no wonder God says, hey, listen, this is, this is never going to work. As a matter of fact, and I, I still, he says, I'll, bl- I'll make sure it doesn't work. And that doesn't seem very nice, God. That doesn't seem very loving. I thought you protected us and provided and guided, and you're a warm God and a loving God. That doesn't seem you know what, folks, is it loving if one of my children turns down the wrong road to send them money to tr- continue traveling down the wrong road? No, I'm gonna do what I can to get a message to him. You're going the wrong way. Don't, don't go that. I'm not gonna help them go the wrong way. I'm gonna help them turn back around. God is very comfortable blowing your income away if you're going down the wrong road. You say, Well, I don't know, Pastor. I've I don't do this, and I feel like things have been adding up pretty good for me. Yikes. I wouldn't, I wouldn't test God on that. I wouldn't test God to see if He can He can blow it away. Because he loves you too much to let you journey too far down the road in the wrong way. And folks, look around you in America. We're we're the total example of what Haggai is talking about here. Look what Jesus says. Jesus says, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Who do you do this for? God, because he has need up in heaven. He can't pay the water bill. Who, Who are we laying up treasures for? Ourselves, You know, that's the crazy thing. I don't think any of us is confused that the Bible encourages selfishness, that that you make yourself the motive for all things. And yet, when I look at Haggai, when I look at Malachi, when I look at Jesus, as they address giving, they really say, hey, you know what? This is for your well-being. Listen, you're doing all this work and it doesn't add up. Hey, there's a way for this to add up. Jesus, for yourself not for me, not for my Father, for yourself lay up treasures in heaven. Why, why would that be important? Now, first, let me go back. In the New Testament, there's a variety of ways you can lay up treasures in heaven. One is giving and giving to the poor, caring for the poor. Another way, giving to the church, giving to the work of, of God's kingdom. Those would be some ways we're laying up for ourselves treasures in heaven. And Jesus says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And folks, there, there we go. That line right there, that's what this is all about. It's not about whether I have enough or don't have enough or whether I can trust God. Listen, it's a heart issue. It's always going to be a heart issue. Jesus says, hey, listen, you want to find out what's important to a person? Follow the checkbook. You want to find out what's important to a person? Follow the money. Our heart always goes to where our money is. And Jesus says, hey, listen, you can discipline your heart. You can channel your heart toward heaven so that your heart catches up. Use your money toward heaven and let your heart catch up and let, and let heaven become the passion of your heart, the priority of your heart. But the bottom line is you're not going to serve God money. You're either going to use money to worship and serve your God or you're going to end up serving money as your God. You think this is a message for capitalistic America out there that doesn't even know the Lord or love the Lord? Haggai's talking to church people when he says this. Jesus is talking in the synagogue when he says this. He's talking to church folks. People who worship God, right? No, you're not. You're sitting in here, money's always a major indicator of what's happening between me and God. I tell you what, this, this, is, this is tough, isn't it? These are challenging ideas, but they're for you. Listen, God, hey, Listen, when you do something, God wants it to add up. When you commit your life, your energy, your, your work, your money to something, he, he wants it to produce for you. And I believe what you have with, with Haggai, with Malachi, with Jesus, is you've got a heavenly math. A heavenly math. let put this up here. Uh, folks, this is maybe a brand new way of, of thinking for you. If you'll think about it, you've heard the ideas before, but maybe never thought about it like this. God is saying to here, Listen, give me the 10 percent. The 90 percent you have left over, I'll make it work like it was 110. But you keep that 10. You, you hold on to that hundred as if it's yours. I'll make it work like it was 90. Isn't that what Haggai just said? I've got food, but I don't ever get full. I've got clothes, but I'm not warm. I'm putting money in the bag, but where's the hole? You know, is that, is that mean of God? Is that unfair of God to do that? You know, honestly, I think my answer would be yes. If, yes, if. Yes, If I think it's my money. If it's my money then. Hey listen God. I don't live under a monarchy. I live under a democracy. (laughs) I I, I don't live under a monarchy. You don't own me. You don't own my house. You don't own my breath. My money is not your money. It's mine. Well then yeah. Having somebody come in here and say. Hey you need to do this. Or I'm going to make sure. And folks it, it really does come down to got wrinkled up in all the services this morning. I want to take care of that. (laughs) It really comes down to who I think this belongs to. If it belongs to me, I don't want nothing to do with this. I'll roll back in here around Easter. (laughs) But if this is God's, and he's saying, Hey, Randy, listen, you're not losing anything. I'll make it go further. I'll make it do more. And that's, again, that's more than a financial statement. But you've got to acknowledge who the king is. If you're going to live as if you're king, if you're going to live as if the kingdom is yours, then you're forcing my hand. I'm not doing you a favor by letting you walk through this life thinking you're king. We have a challenge to join God, to invest in God, to come alongside and be a part of what He's doing in this world, invest in what He's doing. And I'll be honest with you folks, I'm a little biased, but super proud. I'm very proud. I hope it's not in a sinful way. I'm proud to offer you the heights as a place where you do that investing, as the place where you acknowledge that there is a king in this universe and there is a king in in your life. You know, when I give... I mean, there's two things I think about when I give to a church. I I give to a church. I give to ministries outside the church. And there's always two things I'm thinking. How's it managed and and what is it producing? And I'll be honest with you, there's at least one example, and I'm not going to call it out loud, but there's an issue that's very important to my heart. There is a ministry that seeks to address that issue. So I want to support that ministry, right? And I just think they handle funds horribly. I, I really do. It's an opinion. I'm not saying I'm right. I just, I just think they handle it horribly. Not out of negligence, not out of criminal. I just don't think they know what they're doing. Just every now and then, it looks like monkeys are running the zoo, right? And, and you know what? I want to give to that. I believe it's important. I believe God would have me to give to that. But it's just, it, you know what? If you just are not comfortable with the way things are managed, it's hard to do that, isn't it? You know, and so I, when I'm giving, I'm always looking how's it managed? What's it producing? You know, folks, I want to share some things. And there are things I share periodically, maybe annually. Some of you will have heard this before. But I also have people ask me about this stuff all year long. And I don't address it all year long, uh, you, you know, but I, I I do want people to know. I do want want people to understand. You on know, the question of how things are managed. And you can measure management in a variety of ways, some objective ways, some subjective ways ways. But a couple of objective ways. We do an, an annual audit. Not every church does that. There's nothing that requires us to do that. We do. And I'll tell you something, it costs money. Cost costs a lot of money. But we have an accounting firm come in and do an audit uh, uh, of our business here at the Heights uh, and they're not just measuring whether the numbers add up at the end of the day they're they're measuring our numbers they're measuring our security they're measuring our software our checks and balances purchase orders who's making decisions how is it how is it held accountable all the way through from beginning to. they're measuring all of that and for the eighth year in a row we got an unqualified report An unqualified report means they said there are no corrections to how you're doing what you're doing or what you are doing. And by the way, that audit is available to you. It's always been available to you. If you go online uh, to our webpage, if you click on Give Online, and I was thinking about that this week. We might need to change the title of that block because if you click on a block that says Give Online, you assume you're going to... give online. What you would, that would take you to where you give online, but it also takes you to a lot of financial information. If you click on that page, you can see the the audit report, who does, what accounting firm does the audit. You can see the report. You can see our budget. We have another one where you can uh, click on frequently asked questions Uh, about our about money here how it's handled here the budget Uh, you might be overwhelmed at just how much information is out there for you to find out about what's going on in the finances at the heights and that's not something new we're doing that is that has always been there so go go check that out and see what that is so that would be one way of measuring how things are managed you know another way is are the bills paid right I mean, at the end of the day, are, are the bills paid? You know, We've had four or five years in a row here where we haven't quite made budget. Uh, never, we, have fallen, we haven't fallen short by significant amounts. It's always very almost insignificant amounts, 1%, 1%, 1% give or take a tenth. You know, we, we barely fall short, but it doesn't really matter if we fall short or not because we operate by kind of a simple management principle here. We don't spend what we don't have. We we don't believe you're calling us to go spend money that we're not receiving and trust God for it. No, we we make our decisions based on what's actually coming in before we look at what's what's budgeted. Uh, We're very aggressive with debt and trying to manage that. I think I announced a couple of months ago or a month ago that, that we paid off one of our loans early. We have two. We paid one of them off early. I think paying it off early, we saved over $65,000 in, uh, in interest payments. So those would be some ways you could look at and, and measure how things are being managed. There, there would be others, but, but those would be a few. What's it producing you know, when you're, when you're giving to the ministry here, what, what, what does it produce? What's happening at and through and with the heights? You know, let's think outside the walls for a moment. You know, if you take last April to this coming March, and I say that because that's our budget year. Uh, so in the last year, April to March, or by time March comes, we'll have been on nine mission trips uh, in, in this church. Haiti, Nicaragua, Ukraine, Zimbabwe, some of those places more than once. And uh, folks, I don't, I don't think it's about comparing, but I would say this out of, I don't know how many churches there are in America, probably 250,000, 300,000 or more, you wouldn't find 100 that had been on nine mission trips. I mean, I, I, that's what we're trying to do here. We're trying to get out into our world of the gospel because that's what Jesus left us here to do, right? And then we've got trips we do a little bit closer to home. Not necessarily getting on a plane, but in a car. Winchester, Virginia, uh, we have a church plant up there that we've been helping support. When I say support, we send money, we send people, we send prayers. And why Winchester? Because that's the D.C. community. Want to have an influence on the on the DC community. Boston, Massachusetts, we have a, a church plant that we've been a part of, been supporting up there, and it's a tremendous opportunity because that church plant has turned into about a dozen more church plants. And and, and so that's that's what we're we're doing with that. We have individuals. Uh, that we sort. We have a, a young couple, Drew and Ashley, in East Asia that have been there for several years that we help support. We have a, a girl, I think probably a lot of y'all know her, Amy Mead, who has literally traveled around the earth in the last 11 months. She's getting home this week. I believe I think the end of this week uh, she got on and went one direction and kept going till she circled the whole globe. and i don 't even know how many nations she went to when it 's all said and done i 've been following her on Facebook, but we help support that. that 's a part of, of what we 're doing. And then you come a little bit closer to home, and we 've got like our love 804 missions. You know, 15 homes this past summer. That we went into and helped renovate, rebuild homes, families that were impoverished and and couldn't keep water from coming through the ceiling or or a variety of of other things. And so 15 different homes that we sent people, but we also paid for all the resources that that, that fixed those homes and that did that. And then we have... about a dozen schools that we worked in. Uh, again, some of that in resources and people. We have ministries where people are, are, are tutoring children all the way to where we're fixing things in our public schools. Which should make you scratch your head and say, don't we have taxes that are f- to fix our schools? Yeah, we do. I don't know why they're not taking care of that. But you know what? If there's a need, you know what I'm excited about is our church can go meet it. Because what I would love to be, and it takes time. It takes a lot of time and it takes a lot of projects. But that we would be a church where our community one day wonders, what would we be like if the heights weren't here? What would this community be without the heights and all they are and all they do for this community? Isn't that what we want to be? One or two people agree with me on that? Yeah. We want, we want the church... To be the thing that's making it happen in a community. We come inside the walls. 119 baptisms here last year. You know, it's hard to... Well, what's that number mean? 119? Why didn't we have 125? (laughs) You know, what's a number like that mean? You know, it's hard to describe that number without looking at what happens in other churches. And I don't think it's fair to compare to other churches. You know, sometimes a number depends on the soil that you're working with, right? Right? And there are some churches that if they got to see one person baptized in a year, they might actually be doing more work than we are to see that one. But to try to understand that, that 119, there's 45,000 Southern Baptist churches in the United States. Over half of them didn't baptize one person last year. Another 40% of them baptized between one and five. So it's... it's and there's some great things happening here, right? There's some, some real life change that is taking place. And I won't continue going on with numbers and stories. I, I hope you can look around and see what's happening with our children, with our youth, and in ministries like Celebrate Recovery and in the baptismal every Sunday. I hope you're seeing and measuring some of that. We're going to try to keep some stories in front of you this spring up uh, from you, individuals sharing what the church has meant to them, what it means to their life, what, it, what it's doing in their lives. I think this is a pretty cool place and to come along and invest. And I'll tell you something, folks. As I look at Haggai's message here, I praise you. Not the pastor. Not the staff. You. Because you really do faithfully, sacrificially give. And I believe that's why so much is adding up here at the Heights. You know what the average per capita per capita is a tricky number because you got a lot of people that don't give and sometimes you got one check per family, right? I mean the 3-year-old's not giving. So per capita means if you took the entire offering and divided it by attendance. So the, the per capita giving in the average Southern Baptist church is $26. You know what it is here at the Heights? About 38 to 40. You give about 50% more than, and I'm, I don't study all denominations, but at least in Southern Baptist life, you give about 50% more. And I have, you know, we have a tendency, well, who's the money bags that's stroking those big checks? You know, folks, I've been a part of a number of churches, a part of a number of, of budgets, and uh, one thing that's always amazed me by the heights is how few big givers we have. The budget is not happening here because we have some wealthy people stroking big checks. The budget's happening here because we have a tremendous amount of godly, faithful people who serve their king. And they acknowledge it with their finances. Amen? And that's what God is blessing. And I believe that's why a lot is adding up here at the Heights you know, I, 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 because so many of you do that, you don't need, per se, this message. But I hope a message like this, whether it be the verses or the things I'm sharing about our church, I hope it encourages you. I hope it affirms in you a commitment you've already made, a commitment you're already living. And, and for those who maybe that's not been a commitment you've made, man, I want to challenge you. I want to I join Jesus and Haggai and Malachi and say, try heaven's math. Try, try heaven's math. Let, let, see what heaven's math can do with your life and, and with your budget. I would use Malachi 3.10. When, I think when you challenge people, let's, let's draw from Scripture, not, not, not a pastor and his ideas. Malachi 3.10, God says, test me. Test me with the tithe and, and see what I will do. I want to challenge you to test God. Now, God didn't say this part. I did. But I want to challenge you to test God for four months. Why, why four months? Well, I think if I said a year, it would just be too overwhelming. I think if I said, test God for one week, eh, now we're just playing games with God. Now we get into this, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put, put $1,000 in the plate, and then I'm going to run to the mailbox on Wednesday and see if there's a check for $2,000. You know, sadly, and I think nothing breaks my I, I hate the prosperity gospel. I hate it. If everybody's wealthy, who shows poor people what it looks like to follow Jesus Christ? If everybody's healthy, who shows unhealthy people what it looks like to follow Jesus Christ? Somebody needs to follow them as a poor person so they can show other poor people what it looks like, right? Somebody needs to follow them as an unhealthy person and show the rest of them. What a lie! Come in here and give God $1,000 and see what he can do. Now, I'll tell you something, folks. You might be surprised what God will do. But God's not paying a lottery game with you. Buy a big ticket. He'll put a lot in the thing. And a good chance you'll get pulled this week. So that's why I wouldn't say test God for a week. Four months. I totally made it up. I did. But test God for four months. Go home you're single by yourself, a couple. If you got a family, this might sound strange because I don't talk, Karen and I don't talk about finances with our kids really per se, but we do the tithe. And and, and I'll tell you why. Because I would say it's one of the most significant things my mom and dad gave me was the teaching and the challenge and the modeling of tithing. Because if you will start life If you'll start budgeting, if you'll start a new job tithing, it's not actually that challenging. But boy, if you've been robbing God and and trying to make a budget work and you're now 52, 47, 61, and you've never... To figure out how you're now going to just lop 10% off, it, it, it seems impossible, doesn't it? It seems very difficult. I think moms and dads, one of the greatest favors you can do for your children is help them start life this way. It's just a lot easier to honor God from the very get-go, from the very first paycheck. So go home and discuss that as a family. And I would, I would say, pray about, pick a date. Uh, maybe you could start March 1st. What is that, two weeks away? Maybe some of you, I need to do a little more arranging. I need to a little prepare for this a little bit. Maybe it's April 1st. Maybe it's May 1st. Pray about it. Start a date and test God. Did you know the Bible says it's a sin to test God? Only one place in all of Scripture does God say, test me, Malachi 3.10. Test me with the tithe. Test me and see what I'll do. And if you don't test them, man, you just have no idea what you're missing out on. And if you're in here today and you're doing just fine and you've never done this, you have no idea what you have missed out on with all that you have. And I would say to you, don't test God to see if his word's true. And he'll blow it away. Because he can make it happen at any time. Heaven's math works for you. Heaven's math works for you. Not God. He doesn't need your money. Honor the king. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, uh, we might know what Webster's Dictionary says about what a king is. We might be able to point over to uh, a certain nation or call out a king in history. But Lord, most of us don't really actually understand the experience of living under a monarchy. God, I praise you that you're the monarchy we live under and help us to realize we lose nothing under your rule in our lives. We lose nothing, we give up nothing. It is nothing but gain to come up under your rule. God, for our children, for our nation, may we be able to display what it looks like to come up under your rule. How freeing it is, how enriching it is, how safe it is. God, we worship you as our king. Would you show us this week all that it means to say there's a king in our lives? Help us understand what that means financially. It's in Jesus' name that we ask this. Amen.